Kia ora, koa and O'Brien tuku ingoa, e kaurungi o Waituhi o Tamaki, no mai haere mai. I'm Anne O'Brien, Director of the Auckland Writers' Festival, Waituhi o Tamaki, and you're listening to a session podcast from our 2022 event. We hope you enjoy it. The Visionaries, Opportunity or Threats. Nai matata fiti, he ara whaihua, he This is part of the Arake RK series, curated by Moana Maniapoto and supported by Royal Society Te Aparangi. In 2010, the national government signed the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, joining more than 140 other countries. In 2019, the Labour government set up a working group tasked with creating a plan to realise the commitment. The result is He Puapua, a discussion document whose title refers to the break between waves and evokes the concept of a disruption to political and legislative norms. Within days, it would become a political football, with some demanding a national conversation. So let's talk. Is this an opportunity or a threat for the country? Working group members, writers and lawyers Claire Charters and Jacinta Ruru discuss sovereignty, matauranga Māori and igniting the imagination with Moana Maniapoto. Ki a ta whakatere i te waka, kei paripari a e te tai. Ka monenehu i te kura, ka whakamarotia atu. Ka whakahoki mai ki, te kapu a whakapipi. Ah, ko te mea tuatahi, ka mihi atu au ki a Ngāti Whātua. Uh, he hono re nui tēnei ki a mātou ki te tū ki rungi tō um, tēnei atamira, wānga nui a koutou, tēnā koutou katoa, ngā mātā waka. Koutou kua huihui mai nei i tēnei rā, ki te whakarongo, ki te kōrero, ki te whitiwhiti kōrero, nau mai hara mai tēnā koutou katoa. Hoki atu au ki a um, hoki ngā whakaaro ki a rātou ngā kaiwhakahaere, tēnā koutou, um, ko tongariro te maunga, ko taupo te moana, ko tūwhare toa te iwi, ko te heohe te tangata, no Ngāti tūwhare toa, a Ngāti piki ao tūhaurangi Ngāti wahi o ahau, ko moana manipoto ahau. It's my great pleasure to welcome you here today to this Writers' Festival session. Um, this is my third session. Yesterday we had disruptors, and today we have, what have I called you? Something fabulous, visionaries, I think. Oh. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'm just going to explain how it's going to run. So, uh, so um, at the end of the session, this conversation with these two wonderful women, there'll be an opportunity for questions. As I've mentioned um, in my previous sessions, having interviewed the new Speaker of the House recently, um, he gave me a few tips. Um, and there are point, no points of order will be taken. Anyone that makes statements will be ejected rather firmly. Thank you very much. Okay, so, um, yeah, that's it. So, I'm just, I'd, I'm so delighted that you've come along here today because this is a very important session and um, uh, I have got the wrong notes, so that's not a great start. Okay, let's just start again. As you were, talk amongst yourselves, all good. Uh, hang on, oh my God. Okay, so one of the most controversial... Um, pieces of writing that came out in New Zealand last year was actually a report. Now, I just want to find out how many of you have actually read Hea Puapua. 
Well done to you. It's only 104 pages. <laughs> I read it all in, in, uh, in one weekend. I found it very graceful and elegant, much like my guests. Um, it was completed in just two months, and it was, well, it generated a few negative reviews, let's just put it that way. Much nicer, too. Yes. Separatism by Stealth was one of the reviewers, um, Ms. <laughs> J. Collins. A palace coup. <laughs> A palace coup and ethnostate, that was by another reviewer, D. Seymour. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know how these people get jobs, honestly. <laughs> a deliberate plan to create a separatist race-based system. W. Peters from somewhere up north. <laughs> so, you know, the critics slammed it. I mean, but we only hear one side, right? The critics slammed it. What was it really about? Who wrote it and why? Um, an opening remark in the 104 page that I mentioned I'd read report identified a vision that in 2040, Rangatira Tanga Māori is realised. Māori and the Crown enjoy a harmonious and constructive relationship and work together to restore and uphold the well-being of Ngā Tangata, people, Papatuanuku, the earth and the natural environment. Now, to me, it's just me, sounds like something you could put music to, honestly. <laughs> you know, it excites the imagination of a whole bunch of us, but it somehow freaks out the critics. So I thought, this is a writer's festival and this is an important piece of writing. So I'd like you to welcome to the stage um, two of the writers. Please welcome Jacinta Ruru and Claire Charters. <laughs> Kia ora. Thank you for joining us. Now, given the, given the little wee meltdown that happened out there, I thought you'd be coming <laughs> in camo. <laughs> you know, were you surprised at the reaction, Jacinta? To hear poor, poor. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I was. I was, um, I was disappointed that the government hadn't led a deliberate um, and confident exchange around here, poor, poor. I was mm. disappointed that it was just left and had no safety for us across Aotearoa New Zealand to come into a very important conversation for us as a country. And mm. here, poor, poor had that deliberate intent. And so I was disappointed mm. um, in, in what happened. And that was never our intent as no. we came together. Yeah. I thought it was very elegantly written. You know, it was. It was... The, the language that was used, it was very graceful and it was utterly non-confrontational. Mm. Is that because some of us have been having this conversation that's been called for recently yeah. for quite a long time? I think so. And I, I, I guess, I mean, partly for us, these ideas, as you say, these ideas are so natural to us. Mm. Um, you know, but for good reason, because this was about realising the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. New Zealand, I think, we, we know teaching comparative Indigenous rights for a long time now. We know what's, we, we've got some idea of what's happening in some parts of the world where there's uh, a lot greater recognition of self-determination of lands, territories and resources and so on. So it was easy for us, I guess, to be um, clear about it. But I think people kind of forget in the reaction to Hia Pua Pua that, and I think Jacinta would agree with me on this, that 
we all want a flourishing Aotearoa, New Zealand. We all want unity. It's just how you achieve that. And to achieve unity, you can't quash people or peoples. That just doesn't work, even in places where that's done violently. People continue. So to have unity, you have to, I think, recognise that um, and recognise and respect every peoples that exist here, not only Māori. Um, so it was, I, I guess, it was quite easy to write it in a positive way. Um, in terms of the the writing, I think we all of us, in some form or other, write as a profession. Yeah, can I just pick <laughs> um, up so and hopefully ask, yeah. that was that came through. So can I just pick up and and and, and have you explain to us, you know, what's your day job, Jacinta? Uh, so I have an amazing job. So I teach and research at the University of Otago. So I have um, I teach Laws 101. So <laughs> yeah, and and so um, and as part of my job is to work with and teach the next generation of lawyers coming through into the profession of law in Aotearoa. And so you know, year after year, I have this opportunity to work with our amazing youth coming yeah. through into yeah. university. And another part of my job is to research. And through that research, I've been able to design a research program that makes sense really to me and my whānau, my hapu, my iwi, and to be able to write about and deeply think about how in Aotearoa, New Zealand, our legal system has done horrendous things to us as Māori, but how as we insist, law is simply what we wish it to be. It reflects the values of a society. And so law can change, and we can make up new rules for us as a society. We can reimagine and be much more hopeful about our future where all of us as New Zealanders can all flourish mm. and all contribute. And if we can design a country like that, where we can all contribute, we will be able to um, do amazing things and we will be able to address some of the major crises that are facing us as a country now. Mm. And without you know, tapping into and valuing the knowledge bases that sit deeply here in these lands, we're entirely missing out. And so, I don't know, that's, look, my job's amazing. I, I love bet my you job. <laughs> I bet you'd be a great teacher, eh? I bet you would. Amazing. Claire, what's your day job? So, much the same. So, I work at University of um, Auckland and I teach uh, comparative Indigenous people's rights. I teach Te Tiriti or Waitangi. I teach international law. Um, and I guess on the side, I've always done some work at the UN. I used to work at the UN in Geneva for some time on Indigenous people's rights and was involved in the uh, drafting of the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples for, gosh, a good 10 or so um, years and still engaged at that <coughs> international level. And currently, and I'm sure we'll get to talk about that in, at the moment, currently uh, working on the actual draft plan of action to realise the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples too. So, so um, but I have an amazing job. I think that's, that's, that's true. Research is fun. We get to think about these ideas. Get to think. Um, and so constitutional yeah. transformation is a big kaupapa for me yeah. currently. That's, that's where I'm, I'm, what I'm looking at particularly, at, from a domestic level. So it's not like you two popped out of, popped out of the local cafe and thought you got this, <laughs> this militant thing that's you know tipping the world upside down. You've actually got a little bit of experience. <laughs> hey. hmm. 
We do. You're yeah. always learning, yeah. though. Yeah. I think yeah. the group. So we were minister, we were ministerially appointed um, to come up with a a way f- a a and the start of a way for us as a country to to become compliant with Te Tiriti o Waitangi and the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. So we're a gr- we're a group of nine. I think we were nine, nine of nine, us yep. ministerially appointed. Um, to do this work, they gave us something like two months. Two eight months, weeks. I couldn't believe it. it. So Could you change <laughs> the world in two <laughs> months? Could you come up with a plan in two months? But it there was crazy. Was, there was it, was, it was quite, and as a drafting exercise, mm. it was it was intense. Yeah, and was, yeah. And there were crown appointees on yeah, writing here, poor poor. So, yeah. um, you said someone from Ministry of Ministry of Justice, um, the minister. Um, Department of Conservation, so and so there was a mix of Māori and Pākehā writing a whole mix of ex- expertise and experience from mm. the government side. Claire and I from the research, um, deeply involved uh, side of it. We had you, Māori youth. We had um, disability. We had. Um, Human Rights Commission. So within that group of nine, there was incredible expertise. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and worked I quite well together. I think, mm. despite coming from quite different, I guess, starting points. I guess the vision. Yeah, gives absolutely. You a clear pathway, absolutely. doesn't it? Which absolutely. is a beautiful vision. Yeah, it didn't just pop out of anywhere. And you've no. both mentioned um, the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. Mm-hmm. So, shall we watch the little clip from our dear yes. friends? Um, this is from uh, a documentary that my partner Toby Mills and I did called um, Moana Jackson, Portrait of a Quiet Revolutionary. And he's just going to explain it to you, the, the genesis um, of, of this mahi. It's, it started a long time yeah. ago. So Mr. Tiko Man, here we go. Thank you. The first delegation of Māori who went to the UN, led by Ngānako, and I was honoured to be in that, was 1988. Ngānako Manhinek fought for years to stop the iron sands at Waiuku being dredged where the Urupā were, and she heard that there was this place called the United Nations in Geneva. Geneva is one of the most expensive cities in the world. That first delegation that went over, we all shared one room, and there would have been six of us, seven of us. So Nano came back and started talking to people and said, they're setting up this working group from the rights of Indigenous peoples and we need to be there. As far as first appearances go, he made an immediate impact. He came in talking about tenorangatiratanga and self-determination. It resonated with everyone because it helped sort of pick us out of the issue-by-issue approach to looking at it in a more strategic and political sense. You know, the years, particularly as we began drafting the Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, it it expanded. The impression that he made in Geneva wasn't just because of his brilliant mind. There were many Indigenous women who fell in love with him. (laughs) Have you had any big romances in your life? Oh, all the time. That's been the problem. You silver fox, you. (laughs) Through our own journeys, we'd all ended up in Geneva. And by 1992, when I was chair in the Indigenous Caucus, we had over 3,000 Indigenous peoples. 
the order of the day is that you would talk about the issues that were facing your people, and then from that, people would extract the core issues that could then be distilled into the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. Some countries like Japan just said, oh, it's not an issue for us, we don't have Indigenous Peoples. Oops. And then the Ainu people say, oh, he's, here we are, here we are. <laughs> I would say that one of the greatest achievements of the UN Declaration was actually the journey to develop it. The journey of learning about what has happened to Indigenous peoples globally is something that is so rich and that no one can ever take away. To all the indigenous, indigenous representatives from around the world. We have traveled long distances, physically, but also in the struggle to achieve your rights. Was there anything binding that came out of that declaration? No, the way human rights institutions function is if they begin as a declaration, then they accumulate what becomes known as the force of international law through practice and usage, and then eventually may be recognised as a convention. But none of those international conventions are necessarily binding. There was this notion that the sky would fall down if society ever allowed Indigenous peoples to have rights. When New Zealand finally reversed its position, life just carried on. The struggle to have this declaration recognised has been a very long time coming and I would like to pay tribute to all of those others in the Māori community, just to name a few, Moana Jackson, Aroha Mead, Nana Kōman Hinnick. There is an expectation that you're going to pick up the wheel. Because even when we got things through, like the UN, for the development of the Framework Convention on Tobacco Control, I rang him about three in the morning. And all he said to me was, oh, good on you, boy. I'll see you when you get home. And it's that quiet kind of affirmation. You know, you hang up and go, is that it? <laughs> and that is it. Because he's achieved what he wanted to achieve, and that was support you, help your thinking, and then when it's achieved, he's just like, good on you. I was kind of saying he's my uncle when I was at the UN, saying oh, he's, he's my uncle actually, so that helped a little bit to break the ice. But yeah, he, he played a huge role in the UN, kind of paved the way for, you know, the younger generation that have been going over there. We call on the permanent forum to reaffirm our rights to self-determination and status as tangata whenua to our lands. When you travel the world in that, don't you find that everyone's always fascinated with Māori? Yeah, one of the things that I hope happens too is that our mukapuna will have to devote less time to reclaiming the beauty from all the hara that's been imposed upon us and they'll have more time to enjoy it. Enjoy the respect that should come to being Māori here at home and not so often wait to go overseas. And we're getting there in that regard, I think, but we're not there yet. Brings back lots of memories. I know. <laughs> so, 
In the report, it was suggested um, that Aotearoa has reached a maturity where it is ready to undertake the transformation necessary to restructure governance to realise rangatira tanga Māori. And I, I remember when we did another documentary in 1990, Queen Elizabeth um, declared that we are strong enough and honest enough to admit that the treaty has been imperfectly observed. <laughs> She said that, and I was going, go, yeah. Um, are we cutting ourselves, or do you think we're ready? And there's just a few that aren't. Oh, I think we are entirely ready. I think we have the, the platforms and the structures in place now, I think, since 1975 and the establishment of the Waitangi Tribunal as this most incredible bicultural permanent commission of inquiry. Um, and, and I think it's a shame that we as New Zealanders don't know more about the work of the tribunal. But... You know, I think we are entirely ready from 1975 onwards because of the work of the tribunal, the amazing courage of our iwi nations um, entering into those negotiations with the government within really tight, horrible frameworks, but still coming through with these reconciliation settlements for the future. Um, you know, another 20 years, you know, we've been 20 years in that process. I think that we are entirely ready um, for a sophisticated approach to our constitution, to who we are as a country. And I, you know, I look at the younger generation coming through, you know, and they're asking questions and mm. are, are so much more invested in this, I think, and so much more comfortable with a notion of te reo and tikanga and um, mm. being part of their, their lives, um, finding ways to, to honour and to respect Te Tiriti or Waitangi. We have major institutions in New Zealand making aspirations to be Te Tiriti compliant. You know, I feel as though in the momentum, last huh? five years, this momentum for us as a country is enormous. I, you know, I'm in Te Wananga or Aotearoa, Te Reo classes, and half the class are Pākehā. You are devoting their, their evenings to learning Te Reo, um, you know, for their families. And, I, you know, I, there's amazing things going on in this country. I, I mean, I, I totally agree, and I think... Um, you know, there's there's also given the reaction to we talked about it before the sort of political reaction to here poor What's missing there is this whole bunch of people um, who realise that there are still things that are problematic, the ongoing consequences of colonisation, be it those you know what we call the sad statistics, incarceration, or the very um, real poverty. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. Um, and there's a there's a recognition that that's a, that's a problem, right? And that's a real um, issue for Aotearoa, and it's not something that we're proud of. So something has to change. Um, I think, and I, I think, think, yeah, you know that, that that there is a bunch of people, like a whole bunch of people, who um, I think would love to be inspired and would love to think about ways in which there are, you know, solutions. And then you think about all this work that's gone on through Harvard for 35, 40 years about how Indigenous peoples do much better when there's some level of self-determination or self-governance. And you think, well, how can we avoid that kind of research that's gone on for such a long time and globally and to help think about how we can um, address these you know, ongoing, um, I guess, problems associated with colonisation um, and all sorts of other reasons too. So, you know, I think that that's, there is that optimism there that we need to capture. And that's why, like Jacinta, I was disappointed that instead of, 
you know, being loud and proud about trying to, <laughs> coming up with an idea about how we might comply with the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, how that then, how the government wasn't loud and proud about it, so then it left this, this, this I guess, this Around opening, um, and it was kind of essentially released despite numerous um, requests from us to the government to release it. Um, it was then captured by, um, through Official Information Act, um, by the right, which, you know, and I think there's lots of people actually on the right who I talk to who want to be inspired too and recognise these issues and recognise that we're not unified until we can bring us all along together and have some form of equality for, for Māori. But it was captured then and used as a political, um, I get, in my view at least, um, sort of political weapon in a way. Weaponised. Um, it was weaponised and that, that was such a shame. But in saying that, I was also pleased that it, at least we were discussing those issues. You know, at, at least they were at the forefront of our minds, at, or at least those people who yeah. might have been interested in it. Um, and over time, that kind of discussion is, is, is good, I think, when you've got youth coming through, they're teasing out these ideas, far more open. Um, so even though it came out that way, I, I do, I'm really optimistic. Um, so you, you two are neat being optimistic, <laughs> given the, you know, given the hard time. Because I, I googled last night. I thought I'll just Google here, purple. Well, what a yeah. dopey thing to do, <laughs> because all the stupid cartoons come up, the hideous ones, and they're all from the same groups, mm. yeah. um, you know. And then you think, okay, well they, they've captured, they've got their memes or whatever you call it. But I mean, everyone can have a have a view as long as it's sort of justified, I think. And we we need to contest ideas to work out which ones <laughs> work. And I'm I. I, you know, it's not. You know, I don't. I don't object at all to the expression of views. I do object a little bit to how it came out. You know, the sort of vitriol, etc. But I mean, I think hopefully we can offer an, a vision that responds to some of those concerns. That responds to the fear. You know, part of the fear came from just unfamiliarity with these ideas that we've seen internationally, you know, by participating for 10 years in those negotiations. One is so right, you, you learn so much about what's happening and how exciting it can be. Um, and we don't have to fear it, but people do fear something new. People think that, what, you know, what are they going to lose? Do you think that the fear has no? been stirred though? I mean, how much of it is genuine yeah. concern and fear and how much of it has just been racking it up just for, you know, their own agenda? cheap politics yeah. really um, and mm. and that's why I think we as New Zealanders need to take all take some responsibility to learn and to um, you know to value and to recognize that there's so much that we don't know as a country and that we like we need to know our history um, we need to know um, all of us should know who the mana whenua are around where we are living there's all these mm. basics that we should be doing um, as a country, and so, and, and I think through that role of education and through that pride in who we mm. can be as a country, surely we can speak back to that kind of cheap politics that those kind of slogans um, that are entirely destabilising to us as a country mm. and don't enable genuine discussion. That creates division. It does, and of course What's there that? is fear and no one has the right answers on any side about how we're going to make this happen but through conversation and dialogue surely we as a country can 
can make something work. It's not working at the moment when we talk about those sad statistics. If we think about our the crises that are facing us as a country, you know, both in climate poverty change. and mental health and the criminal justice yeah. system, but also climate change, you know, we there are changes, significant changes that we need to make as a country and often talk about all we're wishing to do is add a Māori voice or add a Māori knowledge base into decision-making for this country. Um, now, so some people will say, okay, there's so many Māori in prison, well, why don't you guys just sort yourselves out and don't go to prison, don't commit crimes? And so a response to that yes. is to say, well, let's give Māori, let's give hapu and iwi right. the resources to be able to um, care for and... Um, and, and, to, and to build a society that makes sense from an iwi perspective. We're on a pipeline at the moment around um, poverty, mental health, um, that entirely leads care. to, that entirely leads mm. into the prison statistics. And so without understanding from a holistic perspective um, who we are um, as whānau, hapu and iwi, and to be able to invest in that, we're not going to be able to address that you know, bottom of the cliff issue of yeah. Māori in prison. It actually reminds me of something that Moana said, which was, you know, no Māori child is born evil or a criminal. Mm. <laughs> it's circumstances mm. that, that can often lead to to yep. to this, to this situation, the incarceration. And I think we could all agree, I'd be really surprised if people don't agree, that, you know, there are issues about incarcer incarceration. We... Uh, second on the table in terms of incarcer you know, incarceration of um, our people generally. And when you think about potentially ideas under tikanga Māori about how to address you know, serious hara, for example, I find them so much more inspiring. And there's a lot for us all to learn, not just um, Māori to, to practice our particular tikanga Māori, for example, or come up with our own ideas of dealing um, the with these kind of balance. That's right, but it's. I think we can all learn from that, mm. um, and I, about potentially I, better ways to to address those issues. I, I guess one of the um, enduring conversations and uh, that I've had with Moana and um, with a lot of people in that particular area, anyone mm. that's trying to effect change. Um, we're all talking about, and Moana says it in the documentary, mm. In mm. incrementalism is stasis, right? Yeah. So we all think, mm. okay, well, if you just, you know, how do we do it? Do we just change that bit over here? But, oh, my God, it's part of this whole bit over here. Mm. So um, is was is he poor poor kind of putting out there bigger changes than just the tweaks? It's both. Oh, it's it is, yeah. works on so many different levels. And so it was an attempt to think about 2040, which will be the 200 years since the signing of Te Tiriti o Waitangi. And that, we thought, marks a really important moment for us as a country and a milestone that's fast, you know, we're fast heading towards 2040. And so we took that as a point that maybe in 2040 we could become compliant with Te Tiriti o Waitangi. We could live up to what we have signed into the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. And through that we can make um, changes right now in the next, you know, 12 months, 18 months, maybe more changes in five years, 10 years, 20 years. And so that's how her poor poor. if you haven't looked mm. at it, that's how it's set out over um, recognising 
excellent initiatives that are taking place right now. Let's keep on with that momentum, yeah. let's build on it, and then I think we need a roadmap, we need to have milestones, yeah. and we need to have an aspiration around a date like 2040 to be working towards, so that it doesn't feel as though we all have to do it right now, today, and okay. that's what I really liked about Here Poor Poor. And so, um, what what did you draw upon? Because you had two months to try yeah. and reimagine yeah, how to yeah, transform sure. New Zealand. I mean, <laughs> you know, I don't know how you ever got any sleep, really. <laughs> and so, what did you pull on that was already done, apart from the decoration? Um, well, I think all of us on the working group had had have had thought about these issues for some some time. Um, for me personally, I drew a lot on comparative examples around the world. So what had worked, these ideas of um, areas where there's um, some jurisdiction for indigenous peoples when there's you know places like Sami Parliament up north, oh, yeah. um, ideas even, well, particularly from the US, um, for example, where you've got a lot of jurisdiction for indigenous peoples, that's where a lot of the research from the Harvard Project comes out. Knowing uh, in Canada, for example, that um, the written constitution refers to Aboriginal treaty rights, which means it's higher law, which legislation must all conform to. Um, so it was a lot of those ideas that, that I personally drew on. Mm. Um, but also, I guess, um, having lived a life around political discussions around Te Tiriti or Waitangi, um, and the declaration from those experiences and working with Moana on, on that. I think those ideas of, of that, that, po that political dialogue, that political movement really influenced a lot of what I was thinking about particularly. And then coming together um, as a ropu, um, what was so surprising I think to me was particularly the, that the government officials were on the same page. Mm. Um, and thinking about justice and thinking about conservation and thinking about Māori Crown relations, that they'd got to the stage that what was happening now, the sort of incremental approach, wasn't really working. But as Jacinda says, it's really important to have a roadmap. You can't just jump from today to 2040 and treaty compliance or UN declaration compliance. It's, it's too big. You've got to bring people with you. Mm. Um, and that... So that does require some incrementalism, I, th I think. Yeah. I'm not as adverse to incrementalism. I, th as, I think he was saying, Jane Kelsey was clarifying it for me the other day, <laughs> that um, incrementalism, um, uh, you just don't stop at incrementalism. It's, yeah. it's a movement forward. It's setting out the, where you might want to get to. Mm. And we're trying to do that now in drafting the actual plan of action, mm. um, which is a process that where so, it's gone ongoing. So, of course, during this time, um, while you're looking at things overseas as well, mm. we have had the other um, mahi that was done with Matike Mai, yeah. which we um, you, you pulled on that too. We'll we did. You. So um, that's exactly what I was going to mention. So chair was our clear was our chair. Um, and Claire, you really, I remember going into those first meetings and making it like, we have to frame this around Mātiki Mai. So Mātiki Mai was an iwi leaders forum um, initiative led by Moana Jackson and Margaret Mutu, where they invested thousands of hours, a number of years, 
to go mm. around the country and talk to Māori, youth, elders, um, just a whole range of Māori perspectives around a constitutional future for Aotearoa. And it had come off the back of, do you remember about 10 years ago, the national-led government invested in mm. a, con a conversation mm. about our constitution? Mm -hmm. uh, so um, Tātipani um, O'Regan, I think he was, right. was he the yeah. chair mm. of that? Yeah, he did, they so went around. So oh. that had happened, and then Mātiki Mai, this incredible investment into Māori thought and leadership mm. and ideas from across the country and that was released in maybe about 2015. We'll show a little yes, clip of that. A great. Yeah. And it has mm. these spheres of influence and even just if you don't do anything else with Hea Puapua, I think it's useful to have a look at those spheres of influence where mm. you have a big kawanatanga sphere, so crown governance. It's huge. And you have this tiny little wee red dot representing the ability for Māori to exercise tenoranga tiratanga in today's society, and then a and a, and a smaller kind of part around a joining a joint kind of um, decision-making opportunities, and so that's where we are at the moment. This huge, big—I think we represented it as blue. I can't remember a big sphere <laughs> that is kawanatanga and this tiny little wee tenoranga tiratanga, and so in positioning our roadmap. We took that mātiki mai idea of spheres of influence and thought, okay, by 2040, how do we increase that tenoranga tiratanga sphere and how do we, and by increasing it, kawanatanga sphere is going to have to decrease in some way. Now that where it might be where people are <laughs> having right. a little bit of a fix. <laughs> exactly. Right. And then exactly. there might be this joint, and this joint sphere is also going to increase. So there is a, you know, there's a rebalancing that does need to take place there. <laughs> so, so just, so let's... You've explained Matiki Mai um, lovely. Now, they, you know, they had the big hui with a whole bunch of people, mm. hundreds of them, um, and they all... It was challenging because everyone mm. had to imagine, mm. you know, imagine a different way of doing things that's mm. really inclusive uh, and powerful and everyone, you know, plays a role. So that that that's actually a bit of a headspin because when I went to law school, we mm. never imagine had to imagine anything we just mm. slotted in mm. you know what i mean yeah hey <laughs> oh sorry two professors here <laughs> yeah oh we but experienced that as well yeah, yeah. Exactly. Of law. Exactly. yeah. And so, gone through Otago, yeah and so so then you had to imagine so you took that report as well so there'd be mm. some clues in there mm. so in the hepuapua it, la it lays out a roadmap but it also lays out a spectrum of Potential models. Yeah. So can you can you explain can you explain clear just yeah. like one end of the spectrum? Yeah. Or maybe both ends actually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess that goes in some yeah. ways to the incrementalism. So yeah. there's some ideas about, um, for example, how you might strengthen uh, Māori participation in, in state governance, right, in the crown, in crown governance. Um, and I think we're doing a lot of those already, reforms of the Resource Management Act, um, coming out of, for example, treaty settlements when um, I, I guess you've got shared jurisdiction over legal personality of, say... Um, to Uruweta. To Uruweta, for example. Um, Whanganui River, for example. So so I guess on one end of the uh, spectrum, it was about strengthening those kind of, um, I guess, policies and activities and movements. And then on the other end of the spectrum, it was about, I guess, increasing 
rangatiratanga or, or places and spaces for Māori self-determination. I often think that it's not so much about co-governance, which is the, the current sort of dialogue, but yep. it's actually about self-determination, which is Article 3 of the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. Spaces and places on, on marae, on our lands, territories and resources, where potentially we should have our own jurisdiction. Tikanga Māori should regulate it, those places and spaces. I mean, I... I, I, th I think that's obvious on Almarai, for example. What, what's the state doing in those places? Um, but I mean, I think we all thought that there's a really large sphere that's the joint sphere. And even in Matiki Mai expresses that as well. We've got to do things together um, because we live in these lands, territories together. Um, so there's a lot of spaces where, where we share and we, we must we must work together, um, but there should also be spaces for tenorangatiratanga, mm. and that was probably at the other end of the spectrum to maybe just, for example, increasing Māori participation and governance. And, and Jacinta really is an expert too on lands, territories and resources environment as well, so there might be some examples there that you want to mention. So one of the, um, because it was this roadmap idea, so one of the initial ideas, and actually, um, the New Zealand Land Transport is all, what is it called? The Transport Agency is already um, doing this to some extent. But we thought, um, you know, as a first step, if iwi wish for this, to have, for example, like Pau Whenua, clearly marking for us as New Zealanders when we are moving into tribal territories. And, and which tribal territories? And which tribal territory we're going into and how we, how we move through those landscapes. And... I think that would be an amazing idea for us as a country and one that if we wish for that, that could be quite straightforward and then it may be, you know, moving along, which has been more controversial, but I don't really understand why, but um, we have about 30% of the country locked up in a, a conservation estate. Why can't we have a conversation around a different type of legal regime for those conservation lands that... Um, help to prioritise a Māori way of also caring for those places. Mm. Our conservation estate is entirely premised on a um, preservation, lock it up and preserve it type model. Um, and that's not the only way to care for lands and resources. And so how can we mm. think about our conservation estate, which is our public lands, which are there for all New Zealanders, how can we start to really embed our collective values, and particularly our Māori values alongside mm. our Pākehā values, into um, caring for these lands and actually changing that dialogue to one of responsibility um, sharing. Uh, and, and sharing mm. and having it that that we don't manage the place, you know, for our own utilitarian benefit, but that we need to be caring for these places for our future generations. Yeah, intergenerational responsibilities. And, right. you know, what's really interesting, if you look overseas, there's been, ten I mean, these tensions come up in other places as well, um, but when large areas of land have been turned into the equivalent of a conservation estate, they haven't been environmentally um, looked after as well as as when Indigenous peoples are actually managing mm. those lands and on those lands. That we don't know how that might play out here, but certainly there's lots of examples, um, many examples where lands 
conservation lands do better under stewardship from Indigenous people. So on in the on the road map with mm. particular issues or situations that you are examining, you would come up with various scenarios of how something might work, right? Mm. And one of them that was that um, attracted um, negative reviews mm. was about an upper house. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, when I was at Parliament the other day interviewing yeah. the Speaker, I said, what's this room? He goes, oh, it used to be the upper house. But, you know, what, what we often compare ourselves very favourably to Australia, for example. And what's going to referendum soon is a voice to Parliament, which could be something like a Senate. The, the, the idea is, is the ideas are still being thought through. But, you know, these are not unusual ideas. Um, and happen in other places effectively in Sami, for example. Mm. Um, so that doesn't make it right here, right? That doesn't mean that we, we have to have a model like that. But it's certainly an option on the table. Yeah. And when you talk about, in some places, a Senate is really an advisory body. It doesn't mean that you, ca you can stop legislation going through, but it creates sort of a higher level dialogue and... and um, in some places, it's, it's, the Senate functions as a way to put a check on, um, you know, what would be Congress in the US, for example, or the, the, the House of Representatives, to think about rights in a meaningful way. It's a way to protect rights of um, human rights or Indigenous rights, could, is, is how you could do it. Um, so, so there's lots of ideas, but it is, you know, it was one of many options. It yeah. was one that was picked up on, and, and I get without the framework of all this is one of one of many options. Yeah. But also without understanding different ways in which this could could function and could function really well in terms of realising the the you know our partnership goals, if you like, and that's the joint sphere. And and uh, um, and it could be something that. Um, I mean, here's a radical thought. It could actually ha be an area that could um, have a, a TDT assessment sort of a Absolutely. function. So Absolutely. you look at it and go, okay, in 100 years, will this will this act of parliament or whatever will it will it you know protect our environment? Absolutely, it, you know? Abs absolutely, and and absolutely. Which is kind and of what's happening in a, the, the, some of the ideas coming out of Australia mm. now. So I don't know I get excited about these issues. I know, but isn't it interesting? Because <laughs> I, I think it is exciting. And, you know, just to actually imagine a different way. Creativity. We, we, we are in a bit of a hammer time at the moment with the yeah. climate crisis sort yes. of stuff, you know. Exactly. So um, we need to think very imaginatively. I wonder whether um, are you... Uh, I mean, what's... So you've, you've put out the roadmap, you've got some examples, you've got a spectrum of ideas. Mm. Um, it was a very collaborative... Um, you know, approach, and so you, you sent a lovely letter to the minister. I read it and was very beautifully scripted. I don't know who drafted that. <laughs> and then now what? Well, I, I'll t maybe clear. You speak to the now what because you've been working. What might with happen the Leadership now? around that. Uh, so last year in uh, July, uh, Minister Jackson um, announced that we that that we that the government would be embarking on drafting the National Plan of Action. Mm. Um, so since then, um, we've been in that process and it's, it's set up as a, I guess, tri under a tripartite governance structure. So you've got f uh, four ministers, you've got members, um, uh, iwi chairs from the iwi chairs forum, 
plus uh, the Human Rights Commission sitting at this governance level. And then underneath that, you've, which I think is really interesting as a structure, that's why, that's why I mention it particularly. Um, and then you've got a steering group where I, where I sit um, alongside Tapuni Kokiri and Human Rights Commission, and we are kind of trying to do the drafting, I guess. Um, but for the first six months, um, there was an en engagement uh, with Māori, 70 or so working groups, to try and understand how Māori might want the Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples realised because a lot of the rights in the Declaration are set out at quite a high level, so right to self-determination, rights to lands, territories and resources, but what might that mean? Yeah, what does that mean at the end of the day? Practical, right? So that's where we were looking for particular guidance and, you know, literally my day on Monday is to spend the whole day, um, you know, trying to come up with, with the... with our draft, which will then uh, be presented to the public mm. as a whole, and then there will be, um, well, the idea is that there will be um, at least three or four months uh, with public interaction, public engagement on this draft plan of action. Um, is that going to yeah. happen this year? It's it's meant to happen very soon. Why not? Okay. So, so that's as I said, Monday Monday is you know one of our final drafting days, whether to see whether we can all agree. And that also sets out short-term goals as well as then the vision for 2014. It might actually be that it's a slightly longer vision. You know, mm. I'm thinking a bit more, I hate talking about realism, but <laughs> realistically. Um, and the fact that it's this, because the government can't come up with its own plan of action to realise the Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. Because that's that would like be an ironic, that doesn't work. Be, that it would be yeah. inconsistent with the Declaration in and of itself. So um, we're trying to make it as inclusive and as, as possible. So look out for it when it's... So and, right. you know, we'd, we'd, it, it's important. That okay, so, yeah. we're, and I'm just thinking we've got the little thing called an election next year too. Yeah, eh? exactly. Right, okay. Loud and proud. <laughs> Cap <laughs> yeah, capture the middle. Capture the How middle. How do where, we? Where we can show that yeah. this is exciting. I, I um, might be I'm, dealing with some I'm going to open up for questions very yeah, shortly, sure. but just before we do... How do, we, how do we get people, um, Jacinda, because they're not all in your class, <laughs> to, feel, to feel like excited and like, yeah, we can do, how do you mobilise people? Oh, I think this is a great forum. So, hey. yeah, it's wonderful to be able to sit together and, and talk about these really deep, important issues for our country. It just, it's just reminding me of when we came together for here, poor, poor. The minister wanted, one of the aspirations was for us as a country to be the first in the world to have a, a legislated commitment, a, a plan of action for us to be compliant with the Un United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. And, you know, there's other countries that are well surpassing us now. So what we are doing here is yes. no longer unique. Canada has already legislated... British uh, Columbia. British mm. Columbia, and at the federal level now too. They're negotiating, yeah. Exactly. So there are... Other, you know, this whole idea that we've got the best race relations in the world is yes. something that we hold on to very dearly. But it's very easy to start to unpick that and to actually see what's happening overseas. There's some really exciting things really happening exciting. over there. Okay, so let's. Let, I'd like to invite um, questions, and just a reminder: these are questions, not statements. Yes, Kilda. Oh, is there a microphone somewhere? Oh, um, I'm seeing hands. Seeing hands. Oh, over, over here. Everyone's pointing. Oh, he's got a loud one. That's all right. Maybe or stand up and yeah. might be. I don't is know it, why. Oh, is that man? He's just going. He's just leaving the room. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I've got a. I've got a loud voice. Kia ora. It has to be okay. Um, 
all three of you reference the fact that you need to engage with and talk to people who are opposed to these ideas. Yeah. And, um, of course, the modern trend, we're constantly told now we need to empathize with some of these people. Mm. But do how can you empathize or even have a conversation with uh, somebody who becomes angry about the labeling of a bar of chocolate? Uh, <laughs> I, I think you've, you've, you know, nailed it in a way because you can <laughs> a contest a, a, a discussion about ideas. I love discussions and contesting ideas, but it's when it gets angry, and I can understand. I mean, I'm passionate about these ideas. I can understand that the, the passion, um, but but the anger I, f I, I do find um, difficult. I find that yeah. I find the difficulty um, for me is um, people that say they want to have a conversation or a debate, but they don't come skilled up and knowledgeable because that's really really annoying. You know, they haven't read the treaty. Te te right. They don't understand it, and then they want right. to have a debate, and it's like well. And then they attack know. the person rather yeah. than the idea. Yes. Which which is which that. Shows that we, we all we all we've probably both been in those situations. I wonder if one of the ways to, I don't know, is just to think about our children and our children's children and, the, and then try to move the debate from the individual at the moment to thinking about, well, mm. their grandchildren. Their grandchildren may very well be Māori, Pacific, Asian, you know, and, and try to think about it in a, in a human way, I suppose, and and try to connect and understand their family situation to try to think about how, um, if we, if, yeah, if what, what we're trying to fear is right now, but let's think about the generations that are coming. I like that. Uh, That's lovely. Yeah. Do we have any other questions? Yes, no. kia ora. No. Oh, which one was that? I can't miss it here. You know, I, th I mean, I, I'm certainly, I wouldn't call myself an expert on the um, Gaelic movement, um, but having lived in this in the UK for some time and, and um, yeah, been to Ireland, I mean, I think, I think there's a lot to learn there too, both positive and ne negative, and I'm sure there's a lot to learn from there with the revitalisation of Te Reo Māori. Yeah, our, crew, our, our crew like Scotty and um, exactly, Timotini, really, really inspiring. They've, they've been having um, you know long-standing relationships with the Welsh, yeah. Um, and yeah, so that's an ongoing relationship. Mm. Yeah. Any other question? Yes, kia ora down the end. <laughs> You can probably um, speak to that. You might want to answer this one, Moana. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, you two have been in the media quite a bit. <laughs> um, it's, it's extremely important. Yeah. It's extremely important that we have um, media that are going to, you know, dig below the 
the sound, sound, uh, sound bites and headlines and have a more nuanced and conversation. And the politics. And yeah, it's just, it's so annoying. But I've seen both of you um, in discussion on like Q&A and different programs mm. and, and, and you've done a wonderful job of communicating it uh, and, and ensuring that people that tune in can see that there's, they should be excited and, and mm. not um, afraid. Media has a huge role. And we had a um, panel here yesterday, the disruptors with mm. um, Mihinga Rangi and Dale and um, Miriam Akamo, and everyone is um, is trying to widen the conversation um, and try to help people connect the dots. I think that's really important. Absolutely. I mean, I, but I, I would say too that often. You know, we have done quite a bit of media one way or another around here, poor, poor, but it's often on Māori TV at the Wātia mm. News. And, and, you know, I jumped at the chance to, to do one morning sh slot with Mike Hoskins, for example, because it's fun to, it's fun to have those debates. Mm. Um, and it's, that's, that's the audience that I'm trying to speak to in a, Good in, in on a way. You. Yeah. Yeah. Good on you. Good on you. Yeah. And, and I saw you on with Jack, and I just yes. thought, look at you, you know, you, like, I guess, you know, you, you know what you're talking about. You're not, you're not a couple of dingbats that go on, you know, I mean, there's so sometimes, many of them out there, sometimes, aren't there? There's so many out there. Do we have, an, uh, do we have another guest, Kia ora. Yes? Yeah. Sort of, how can I, mm. you know, how do you become part of a movement with, I, I guess I'm wanting, ideally, there to be so much people power behind it that yeah. no matter which governments mm. power, Absolutely. Yeah. they have to be fulfilling, mm -hmm. you know, your pathways, but yeah. how do we, I mean, apart from voting and not voting for DC more, etc. but um, <laughs> any other sort of ideas and how we can... I think it's about you know like having conversations. Like there are there are many Pākehā allies and champions out there, and you know back in and the eighties there Muslim were groups Asian like, champions. Yeah, like Asians for Tenoranga. It's um, awesome, and yeah. so they're all talking with their own communities, and they and I mean I was just thinking that in the eighties there was this kind of a decision that that Māori should not go out there and try and educate Pākehā around anti-racism. Yeah. That was the role of Pākehā. And there was amazing people like Mitzin yeah. Rainian and Oliver um, Sullivan. And, yeah. you know, and so that's the role for um, non-Māori, um, for everybody to speak to and connect and you know, make those conversations with people um, in their own families, in their own neighbourhoods. That, that's how you could absolutely get um, mobilisation. And also, I think I think to keep, um, I guess, optimistic, you do have to have a slightly longer term kind of a, a thought or approach or idea that you're normalising these ideas over time. So there, are, as I mentioned sort of earlier, there is a reaction to hear poor, poor, but at the same time, it's like, well, suddenly we're talking about self-determination and five years down the track, that might be just a, a normal thing because we've had that, we've had that dialogue, we've had that debate. And, um, you know, I think we all think that, you know, I would, as I say, you know, talking to our families, our friends, and voting is important. 
Yeah. You know, it is important. And I think just really getting involved in any community initiatives, um, and both nationally and locally, you know, like Action Station, and you know, there's that, some amazing things going on yeah, um, on across those different platforms. And then reading, I think just reading as much as you can. Itangata should be, you know, I think that is just a flagship, amazing piece of writing every Sunday morning. Um, you need to do more writing for Itangata, just quietly. <laughs> <laughs> trying to fit that in <laughs> with here poor poor. Yeah, you got a bit on the table. Eh? <laughs> um, well, unfortunately, it's come to the mm -hmm. end of our session, and we should have had um, copies outside, eh? But they can, people can find online. Here poor poor online. It was meant to be published in this nice sort of way. Aww. I would add just qu just quickly that we did design the kind of executive summary as to be the bit that was meant to be kind of published in a nice glossy bit. So even if you don't read the whole 104 pages, <laughs> hopefully the executive summary, I mean, even calling it executive summary is a bit silly, isn't it? Wrong language. <laughs> <laughs> the, the preambular. So what we're going to do to end this session, and we're, we're about to go 10 seconds over, we're all going to stand up, we're all going to sing the song that Claire's going to lead us in. No, I can't sing. I'm Look, so it flat. was your I idea. Mean, but, but imagine imagine singing next to Moana Mani Apostle. Everybody, on your stage, help deep. me out, help me out. Okay, ready? To tira mai ngā iwi, tātou, to tira mai ngā iwi, tātou, tātou e, whai a te maramatanga, me te aroha i ngā iwi, ki a kotahi tāti, ki a kotahi rā, tātou, tātou e. Big ending now. Tātou. Put your hands together for Jacinta Ruru and Claire Charters. Woo! Thank you. Tanakwe, you've been listening to a podcast from the 2022 Auckland Writers' Festival Waituhi Otamaki. You can find a range of other festival talks, interviews and discussions on iTunes, SoundCloud and on our website writersfestival.co.nz